And um, it is a great uh, small group's testimony. And so you know that last week we started this. And uh, in just a few moments, when we um, finish the service up, we're going to be going through these doors and going to all those tables. And if you've not been a part of a small group before, we're going to ask you to consider that. This is the time that, of the year to join. This is the best time to get plugged in. And so we're going to be looking at that in just a few moments. And I'm going to give you some reasons why you need to do that, all right? But uh, let me just review just a few minutes so uh, we can sort of uh, get into our minds where we're going to go with this because we've been in a series of messages called For Something More. And we've had a, we used to have a video. In fact, we did, ran it for four or five weeks of people on the street and one guy saying, you know, I, I'm really seeking out success in life. I, I was trying to make a lot of money, but it just really hasn't satisfied. I'm looking for something more. Went to church and, uh, you know, I enjoyed the worship, enjoyed the preaching, but I'm still looking for something more. Something is missing in my life. And so we've been looking at for something more and the different things that really the Bible teaches about that. In fact, just the overall thing is that we live a supernatural life. It's not just a matter of in the sweet by and by when we get to heaven, we are going to get all the blessings of God. Our inheritance, the Bible says, is right now. The Bible says greater works. Jesus said greater works than these shall you do that I've done because I go to the Father. But you think, where are the greater works? The Bible says that we, God's going to do a work in your life in the land of the living. Where is that? It's right, what? Right here, right? Right on earth. And so we look at the Christian life and we said that really when you, when you deny the supernatural, you're really kind of denying the very character and existence of God because he is a supernatural being. Not only that, but he created the world in a supernatural way. Then when Jesus Christ was born, a virgin birth is certainly supernatural. And then he healed the sick, raised the dead. Then he died on the cross for our sins. And dear friend, here was God in the flesh dying on the cross for our sins 2,000 years ago and applies to our life today. Is that not a miracle? He rose again on the third day, which is what we base our faith upon. He wrote us a miraculous Bible. And so everywhere we turn, in fact, if you are saved today, if you're a believer in Christ you've received Christ into your heart, you are a walking miracle because the Bible says you were born from above, born again. The Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of your life. And so what God wants in our life now is a supernatural growth that we can go out into the world and do supernatural works, particularly in leading people, not exclusively, but particularly leading people to Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have the message, we also have the life. And we have an attractional life. Again, there's nothing wrong with having an attractive church, whether it's attractive church building, attractive services. But sometimes those two things collide. So a church has to decide, what do you want to, the most? Do you want an attractive worship service or do you want attractive Christians going out into the world, attracting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And we have decided, of course, on the latter. And so you and I, as we're meeting here today, that's our goal, to love Jesus more, to believe him more, and also to love one another more. Now, we said that the supernatural growth is organic. Difference is this. I can, I can have a pile of rocks. I can build a pile of rocks, but I can't make the rock grow. 
The, rock, the rocks are growing um, mechanically uh, on the external. But the Bible gives us a plant illustration. He said, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and we bear fruit upon the branches. How do we do that? Well, the Holy Spirit is like the sap that runs through the vine out to the branches and produces the fruit. And we said the fruit on the inside are things like uh, uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control out of Galatians chapter 5 called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit also is another, uh, is another Christian leading someone to Christ on the outside. But we said that the growth on the inside is going to produce the growth on the outside. The fruit on the inside produces the fruit on the outside. And so as we're looking at this, we ask ourselves the question, then where does the church fit into all this? Where does the small groups fit into this? Well, as you listen to Christy's testimony just a few moments ago, you understood that she mentioned groups in her life, different people, maybe not by name, but she mentioned them. Why? Because everybody's story, everybody's story has other people in the story. How many times have you heard of someone uh, talk about their salvation experience and how they came to know, came to know Christ, and basically they think, thank no one but God. You know, God saved me, but it had nothing to do with anybody else. No, we all have people in our story. What about growing as a Christian? All of us have uh, people in our life that God has providentially used to help us grow in the Lord. Now, as you think about that for just a moment, who would that be? I mean, not, not your family for just a moment. Somebody outside your family that has either led you to Christ or helped you grow. You know of someone in your life. I can think of several. I can think of Steve Dial, who was a friend of mine at the University of Georgia. They got me first going to uh, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ meetings, and the rest was history from there as I saw how they were living. Uh, we, we grew together. He inspired me. He had a... He had a um, a stroke at the age of 19 before I knew him. And so his challenges, physical challenges in life were really an inspiration to everyone around us. And then there was uh, Bill Ricketts, my former pastor, who influenced my life to grow. But there's also a situation where a fellow by the name of Bob Evans, who worked for one of the campus ministries, decided that he wanted to meet with me one day and uh, he, he was going to share the gospel with me. So he asked me the question. He said, Dwayne, if you were to die today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? I'd never been asked that question before. I've been asked, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Are you saved? Are you born again? But man, that really put it right there, right there before me. Because if I was sure that I was going to heaven, and the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. But if I, if I knew that, I better start living like it because it really wasn't back then. Or if I, if I didn't, if I wasn't, I, I needed to do something about it. And so God used them in my life. What about you? Who has God used in your life? Because the Christian life and the supernatural life does not come in a vacuum. God uses other people around us. In fact, let me just say, God, God uses other believers in our life to bring about miraculous spiritual growth. God uses other believers in our life to bring about miraculous spiritual growth. Now, I've got two diagrams here. One is a circle with an X in it. The other is a circle without the X, the X on the outside. Now, if the circle was the church and you were the X, where do you fit? What diagram really, uh, really describes you? You may say, well, I'm right in the midst of it. 
You know, I'm right in the church. I'm really involved. I know people. People are changing my life. I'm being able to be used in other people's lives. Or maybe you're, you feel like you're on the outside looking in. And maybe you're, you even go to church. But you feel like you're on the outside looking in. And you long for something more. And some of that something more comes through people. In fact, the Bible is all about that. Now, when you and I as Westerners read the Bible, we're sort of individualists. All right, we, we read the Bible, and when we read it, we think it's just to the individual. And it is to the individual, but it's also to groups. Everywhere you go in the Bible, there's a group, there's a group, there's a group. And other faiths, or rather not other faiths, but other countries, other cultures, understand the whole group concept. So we want to look at it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is right in the middle of your Bible. I could go to the left, I could go to the right. And I could find over and over and over again, God raising up a people where people grew or did not grow based upon the people around them. So I want to look at three things this morning real quickly. The principle of community and then the purpose of it and finally the practice of it. Let's look at the principle. As I open up the book of Ecclesiastes, I am really convinced I could have preached, now that I look back on it, I could have preached this entire series of messages out of this book. Solomon the wisest man that ever lived, the Bible says, wrote this book near the end of his life. And he says, I've tried it all. I've tried everything and all is vanity. Chapter two, he says, I, I tried pleasure and I just immersed myself in pleasure. Didn't work out for me. He said, uh, all is vanity. It's just nothing under the sun. Then work. He just immersed himself in becoming a workaholic, building things. I'm going to build and build and build. And he did that for a while. It didn't satisfy. He was looking for something more. Wealth, chapter 2, verse 8, looking for something more. Wisdom, he decided to get involved in philosophy and theology and, and the study of life and the study of God. It didn't satisfy. He needed something more. Finally, he just said, well, I just don't care. I'm just going to live a life of apathy. Uh, devil may care, attitude. That didn't work for him either. Finally, he just comes down, writes this book, and, and, and he's pouring out his heart to us, knowing that he doesn't have what he's really looking for. As you look in the Bible, whether it's uh, in front of it, behind it, life of Jesus, life of Moses and Abraham, you find community without. One of the things that I brought out last week is the Trinity of God is, is really community. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I realize you can have all kinds of uh, human illustrations to, to say, well, there's three personalities in one God. You know, H2O can be a, become a solid, a liquid, or steam, but it's all H2O. But there, there's nothing in life that can really describe what it means when it talks about the Trinity. It's a mystery to us. But here's something that we know, that before man was even created, and he was created to have a connection with God, a relationship with God, that's God's design for our life. But even before he created man, before he created the universe, he had fellowship with himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You look in the Old Testament. God called a man by the name of Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And that's exactly what he did, the nation of Israel. When Moses, you know, I think about Moses uh, going up on Mount Sinai. There's a story in the Bible, in the second book of the Bible. He's going up on Mount Sinai, and he's coming and getting the law from God, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. Then he comes down, and as he's coming down, he's going to start a new community. That's what he's doing. 
Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, goes up into a mount. He gets the word of God. He comes down, preaches the Sermon on the Mount. What is he doing? He's starting a new community, a community of followers of Jesus Christ. And we look, and in the book of uh, Joshua, chapter 7, I believe it is, the story of Achan, one of the most difficult things to explain as a preacher because here was the nation of Israel going into Jericho. They conquered that. You know, that's where the, the walls came tumbling down, if you've ever heard that little song. And the next city was Ai, Ai, real simple, Ai. We don't even know how to pronounce it. We just say Ai because that's what it looks like, you know. So they go into Ai and they get defeated by this little bitty town. And, and they go off running and, and people die in Israel. Why? Well, God says, because Achan took some of the spoil. They took some of the treasures he stole. He stole from them. He stole from God. And he says, I won't, I won't put up with that. He's, he's going against the whole community of God. The community, God says, I'm trying to raise up as a witness and testimony to the rest of the world. And the Bible says the whole nation of Israel got punished because of that. They lost, they lost a battle. They lost people they shouldn't have lost in battle. And because of that, his whole family had to suffer for that. He said, that's a group. That's a, the group's not responsible, but God says the group is kind of responsible. Either, either you're doing something or being passive about something where the group is going to be held. It's a group. It's not only the individual, but it's also the community as well. You look at the church. The church is the New Testament people of God. We're called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, light to the world, or light of the world, salt to the earth, a city set upon a hill, all kinds of analogies and illustrations about God's people, the church. You look at the miracles of the fish and loaves, it was done in a crowd. You look at all the miracles that Jesus there was, did. There was always somebody around. It was done in a group, the day of Pentecost. If you know that story, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus was caught up into heaven. The Bible calls it the ascension up into heaven. And he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to start praying because the Holy Spirit of God is going to be sent down to you as I promised. And they prayed in that upper room, 120 of them, for days. And the Holy Spirit of God came down upon them and dwelt man for the very first time. How can we grow? How do we know we can grow? Because the Spirit of Christ lives within us and makes it organic within us. When did that start? Day of Pentecost. How did it start? Just with Peter? No. Just with John? No. Just with, other, with other, one of the other disciples? No. It happened in a group. And so we look at the principle. Let's look at the purpose behind it. The Bible says here in verse 12, and though a man might prevail against the one who is alone, two will, in fact, let's just read these four verses. Two are better than one. Verse 9, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone. Man, it's just sort of like impending failure here. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. Now, in verse 12, some people say, well, the, the three, you know, two people are, 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 there's two strands that are people, and the third strand is God. Well, I don't know. It could be. Uh, the Bible doesn't say, though. It doesn't say that. 
It could just as easily be and probably is in Solomon's mind. Hey, look, two people are really strong, but you get a group together. And three is a group. You get a group together and they can withstand things that the individual cannot withstand. We are to be a witness to the rest of the world. The problem with Achan was God wanted to raise up a nation to be a witness to the rest of the world and Achan embarrassed God. There was sin in the camp. He, he ruined God's plan for Israel, at least for a while. And we are to be an attraction to the rest of the world. People need to look at us and say, wow, if that's, I, I see now the Bible has flesh on it. I can see it. I see how you're living. You're just different. You take adversity different than I do. I mean, there's just something about your life. There's an attraction there. And that's what God is going for in our life. Well, we help one another. There's four things mentioned in this passage. Let me go over them quickly. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Why do you want to be together? Mutual effort. Mutual effort. We can, one person can do just so much alone, but you start bringing in other people, you start multiplying your efforts. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The reason we're partnering with Compassion International we can do more with them, and hopefully they feel the same way, than, than what we can do alone. I was, uh, Pam and I were um, um, uh, supporting this young man, young boy, 10-year-old, uh, Jimmy, that we um, sponsored after my Peru trip. And uh, Jimmy was, you know, you know, I got a chance to play a little ball with him, you know, kick the soccer ball around, as though I, I can really do that. It's not my game, but anyway, um, you know, I'm kicking the soccer ball around with him, playing with him a little bit. Jimmy moved to another place. His parents had to move. And these are, these are not orphans usually. They, they have parents. They're just in poverty. But they moved to a place where they didn't have an evangelical church, a gospel-centered church. So he had to leave the program. And Jimmy was replaced by someone else. We partner with them. Why? We can't do that kind of ministry. We, can't, we don't know anything about going to foreign nations and doing that type of ministry. They do, so we partner with them. We can do more with them than do it on our own. We partner together. There's a mutual effort. Then there's also mutual support. Look in verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You know, most of the time, when you see in the Bible somebody failed, they did it when they were by themselves. They were alone. David was alone when he lusted after Bathsheba, and his life just kind of went down the tubes in a lot of ways after that. Uh, Peter was alone when he denied knowing the Lord, and he denied him three times. We're, we need other people around us. In fact, we're, we're really emotional beings. And because of that, we begin to doubt God when we're going through some trials in life. Everyone here has, you wouldn't admit it maybe, but you have shared with God in a very emotional way, God, why are you doing this to me? Why me? Why now? Why this? Why my daughter? Why my son? Why my husband? Why, why? We, we don't and the younger we are in the Lord, the more difficult it is for us to handle adversities in life. He says, hey, look, you need some support. 
You need to have people around you supporting you. The Bible says bearing one another's burdens is so fulfill the law of Christ. And even, even preachers, what about pastors? I take this opportunity, I guess, to let you know that uh, in Global Impact Conference, one of the really, really, my, one of my favorite uh, preachers, Ted Trailer's coming on a Wednesday night to get it all kicked off. And uh, Ted was here before. Uh, he is pastoring in Pensacola, Florida, a very large church there. But he's from Alabama, several hours drive away from Pensacola. And uh, in his own homespun way, he tells about going to the creek right behind his house and how he would go out there with, when he was going through adversity and trials. He'd go out there and meditate on the Word of God and pray. And um, he'd tell the congregation that. And he was going through a tough time. Uh, you know, they had to deal with a, a staff situation that was long-term. A lot of people were talking. He was just going through some bad stuff. And three men in the, in the church, without telling Ted, got in their car one morning, drove all the way to his home in Alabama, found the creek, took some water out of the creek and put it in a jar, drove all the way home on the same day and knocked on his door at night and gave him the water from that creek. That's support. He felt loved. He felt supported. You need that kind of support in the small groups, and that's what small groups bring to you. Our, our uh, leader, I think his name was Brad, in the, in the recent men's conference was talking about, as I said last week, about being in a Bible study and just throwing up his hands. He says, I'm through with this. My life's in the toilet. My marriage is gone. And, and I, don't, I don't see us discussing anything that's really pertinent. And they begin to open up. And they begin to talk. And, and they, some of them were going through the same problems he was going through. Why? Because there was, there was a freedom in that group to talk. And listen, if you have a small group today, and you, know, you go out thinking, that person should not have shared that in this group, then you don't have the kind of group that's going to make others more attractive, that's going to grow people up in the Lord. You just don't have that kind of group. There's some work that needs to be done on that end as well. So you need the support in your life. You need one another. Then there's mutual companionship. Now, let me say this in verse 11, just real quickly. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Being together, just being there, supporting one another, even in a nonverbal type of way. Lifting up one another, supporting one another, and helping one another to take a direction. That's what it's talking about. And so what direction are you taking? Well, you know, you can go and hang around the wrong crowd, and that's going to influence you to go the wrong direction. And you, or you can go with the right crowd or the crowd that's godly and the kind of crowd that is trying to serve the Lord the best they can and grow in the Lord and deal with their problems. And that's going to affect you as well in a positive, very positive way. We're men, I've said this, we're men and women of our time. A lot of what we get, as long as we get something from the Bible, not filtered by the culture of our day, we can't go wrong. But a lot of what we believe, and a lot of what people believed in the past, is not only found in the Bible, but some of their stuff is just found in culture, and they think it's in the Bible. And we see this all down through history. What, what has happened? We have been influenced by our culture. We've been influenced by the people that are surrounding us. Now, 
Some of you here are parents and you maybe homeschool your children or maybe you send them to Christian school. And one of the reasons why you do is maybe because you're afraid of what they're going to be taught in the classroom. But that's never been my thing. We can always teach them something different at home. We can teach them why that's wrong and the Bible's right. The problem is, is peer pressure. When you send your children to whatever school they're going to, wherever they're going, they're going to be influenced by their friends. And therefore, you're not only going to be raising them, but their parent, the the, the, uh, the parents of your friend, their friends are going to be raising them. Their parents influence their kids. Their kids influence your kids. So how do you want to be influenced? Which direction do you want them to go? We need that encouragement. People need to have people around them to grow in the Lord. And they need, again, flesh on the Bible. Somebody comes to me and asks me, well, I don't understand really how to live the Christian life. I'm reading the Bible. I'm applying it to my life, but I need a model. You know, sometimes when you're putting a puzzle together, you look at the picture on the outside first, and you kind of go by the picture. When, when you're looking at other things, you, you want to know uh, the picture of how to put together that bicycle for your children. You want a picture of it. What's our picture? I ought to be able to look, of course, at the leaders of our church, deacons and teachers, and say, I'll just live like them. You just go and follow them, and you'll be good. Who do you want to be influenced by? Well, not only in this direction and companionship, but then lastly, it's strength. A man who would prevail against one who is alone. But then he says, three strands cannot easily be broken. Again, when you are, when you are, picked off with temptation. It's like lions picking off the lamb that's alone. You need strength within you. And sometimes you just feel like your strength is gone. Sometimes you need to just go to sleep. Sometimes you need to eat a good meal. Something's physically not there strength emotionally wise. Sometimes you're just burned out emotionally because you've got so much stress in your life. And it's just easy to say, well, I'm just going to quit. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with this job. Maybe I'm done with my family, but probably not. You're going to quit a lot of other things before you do that. We need mutual strength of people around us. Rick Warren has said, the Bible knows nothing of solitary saints or spiritual hermits isolated from other believers and deprived of fellowship. The Bible says we are to put together, join together, built together, members together, heirs together, fitted together, and held together, and we will be caught up together. You're not alone anymore. Isn't that great? You're not by yourself. You don't have to be. How do they practice this? Look over in Acts chapter 1 or chapter 2, because I think to, to really get this, we really do have to take a passage out of the New Testament, and I'll read one verse to you. Um, after the day of Pentecost, and just to give you a little background on what that day is, um, the Holy Spirit of God came down on that 120 people, and uh, the Bible begins to, to say miracles were happening, but the main thing was Peter got up, the apostle Peter got up to preach the gospel of the resurrection, and 3,000 people were saved. Man, talk about an instant church. What did they do? They devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which we're going to do this morning in just a moment, 
and to prayers. They studied God's word together. They learned from one another. And that's something you can do in a small group. You just can't do in a big room. You can't do it on television. You can't do it by the internet. You can't even do it here in a big room. You can worship. That's what this is for, to draw you closer to God. We're going to have the Lord's Supper in just a moment and allow you just to come up and take it at your, as you want. You don't have to come. Why? To connect you to God. We want you to go out here loving Jesus more than what you came in. And how, how can we do that but by being reminded every week how Jesus Christ loves us enough to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to draw you in connection with God. Small groups get you connected with God in a, in a different way, sometimes a lesser way, but they connect you with God's people, which is a big thing and a long-lasting thing. And so we look, and we understand that they, they fellowship around God's Word. Then we notice providential relationships are going on. They worshiped. They were in small groups, and they loved one another in these fellowships. What did they build it on? You know, here's the thing. I mentioned to you Steve Dial, Bill Ricketts, my pastor, and Bob Evans. I don't, I don't know Bob that well, but I do know the other two. And, you know, I tell you our commonality is not sports. Let me throw in another friend, Kevin, who's now a missionary in a Muslim country. Has been there, he's been there for years. Kevin was my, one of my closest friends in, uh, at Coal Falls College. Steve at the University of Georgia. I've been around. I, I made my rounds. And um, my, my interest has always been sports. At Coal Falls, I play, uh, I, I get up, pick up games of basketball all the time, and, and then I, I play seasonal stuff. You know, just, I just wanted to, to play. I, I, you know, I'd even get a ping pong paddle out if I had to. Just something that had to do with the ball. You know, I never saw, I never saw Kevin do any of that. We never talked about sports. Steve could, Steve Dial was once an athlete in high school, but since his stroke, he couldn't do any of that at all. Bill Ricketts was my pastor. I've never seen him on a basketball court. I have nothing in common with these guys except Jesus Christ. That's it. Now, there's nothing wrong with, I've got friends I play golf with. And we have good com common ground to go and do something together. Nothing wrong with that at all. Some of you are uh, swimmers, scuba divers, you're fishermen, you're hunters. Nothing wrong with that at all. But you see, here's the thing. You're, you're going to have fellowship around a common ground. What is that common ground? It's the thing that's most important in your life. If your grandchildren or children are the most important thing in your life, you are going to have other people about your age, but also that's what you're going to talk about all the time, your kids. If sports is it, man, it's just golf. You know, you talk about golf all the time because that is your common ground with the people that are closest, not just all your friends. I'm talking about the ones that are really heart to heart with you. Whatever your common ground, whatever your common ground, it's going to be, it's, the common ground is the center of your life, what you center your life on. And I want to challenge you. 
as small group leaders, as deacons, to center your class because you're centering your life around Jesus Christ. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great pastor of another century, wrote a lot of commentaries. In fact, he, it took him, I think, eight years or something like that to, to preach through the one book of the Bible, Romans. That's how detailed he was. He was a scholar, intellectual. When he graduated from one of the, uh, the highest institutions in England, he started pastoring in a fish, fishing village. He thought, God, what in the world? I, I, don't have any, I don't know anything about fishing. He'd never gone fishing in his life. He looked back on that at the end of his life, and he said that was the most precious time of Christian fellowship he had ever had. He said, my, my fellowship did not revolve around my intellectualism, my education, or their fishing. It centered around Jesus Christ. We noticed that whatever they did, joyful worship, verse 42, continual prayer, sharing your faith, it was all about going to thing, doing things together, providential relationships. Now, let me say this. We are not matchmakers here. We are not going to be able to introduce you to people until you come across somebody that you feel like you have commonality with. You got to have common ground with every single person in a small group class. Now, the thing is, you're going to have more common ground against those who kind of closely match your maturity in the Lord. But we're not matchmakers, but it is our job to provide for you environments that will allow you to get heart to heart eventually with people in your life. Three different kinds of fellowship, it's been said. Hand to hand, that's just meeting people. Face to face, you're in a small group and you know they're by name. And heart to heart, where you can feel like you can share anything in your life. Now to do that, you're gonna have to sign up for a group. But here, here listen to me very carefully. You're gonna have to come. And if the small group's not for you, that's just not the one. Hey, they're centered around sports. They're centered around politics. I hope not, but centered around politics. They're centering around their, their kids. You know, I just need to find another group. Find another group. But you come to that group. The Bible says, not neglecting to meet together, as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. That's what I'm doing. I'm encouraging you all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus discipled people. That's what we want. We want to lead people to Jesus. And once we, we lead them to the Lord, we want to disciple them. That's why we have this foundations class that we're starting now, we've had a new Christians class for a long time, but in this one, I'm doing videotapes of things that I really want you to know as a young Christian. You can sign up for that right here in the, in the center of everything today. We had several to sign up last week, and uh, you would do it at 9.15 and then come into worship afterwards. It'd be like your small group. We want you to grow in the Lord. We want you to grow, but you've got a show to grow. A question was asked in a minister's meeting that I was in, and we really contemplated this, by the way. It was a great question. Everybody's feeling, every pastor feeling the same pain. And the question was this, how do you disciple people that are not there? How do you disciple people when you say, look, in order to really be a disciple, it's time for you to really serve someone. What about right here? Oh, I just don't want to come that much. How do you do that? And we knocked that around for a couple of hours, believe it or not. And the answer to me, came to me after it was all over. It was so obvious. 
You know what it is? You know what the answer is? You can't. Even Jesus could not do that. His disciples lived with him, lived with him. And you notice one thing in the Bible. They met together, they met together, they met in the temple, they met in the home, they met, 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 met. They couldn't get enough of one another. And they met centering around the apostles' teaching, the word of God. Now, what about you? Wow, don't you want to be everything you can be in Christ? Don't you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Wouldn't it be wonderful to walk out of this room today? And, and oh, okay, you're going to battle it some, but really have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Really have joy. Really have the love of God in your heart. Really enjoy some peace instead of worry. Wouldn't it be wonderful to do that? And wouldn't it be wonderful when you come across, even as an infant Christian, so much junk in your life? You, got, you can turn to someone who's been there, conquered that, and say, what do I do? Wouldn't that be great to be able to turn around and help someone, all right? Help someone in an area where you've been through that yourself. Wow. Now that would be something. You need to sign up. You need to show up. And then you'll grow up, all right? I just made that up. Just now, you know, off the cuff. I wasn't bad, was it, David? It was all right. All right? No, don't do that, really. I can start believing all that stuff, and then I'm in a lot of trouble, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm talking about your hand clapping, not the same. What would I say? Show up? No. Sign up. Show up. Grow up. All right. Now, that's, that's what needs to happen. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to... Uh, Go through these doors in just a moment, and I just want you to check out all the stuff. But maybe you're sitting here today, and you're saying to yourself, you know, I've kind of been that, that Christian that haven't centered my life around the Lord. In fact, all my friendships are based on my, either my job or my hobby or my kids, not around Jesus. In fact, I don't even feel comfortable around people that are not of my socioeconomic or educational background. I don't care how much they love Jesus. I, I just, I don't know. Well, maybe it's time to just come to the Lord's table this morning and just say to him, Lord, Lord, I just, I just want to cleanse my heart of all this stuff, and I just want to be what you want me to be. Would you help me do that? The Lord's table. You don't, you don't have to come in just a moment, but we're going to invite you to come. And then also, what about you that have never received Christ? And, and you know that Jesus loves you. You know that he died on the cross for your sins. What about today? What about right now to receive Jesus Christ into your heart? You know, you could do that. You could walk out of this, these doors this morning knowing that Jesus lives in your heart. If anybody were to ask you that question, if you were to die, do you know that you go to heaven? You could say, yes, because I have Jesus in my life. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that is the prayer of your heart, you want to be, as we say, born again, you want to be a follower of Christ, I invite you this morning to pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you went to the cross and died there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of all my sin 
Make me the person that you want me to be. Give me the, that knowing salvation, the assurance of salvation, knowing that I'm saved in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.